0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com and The latter part of Breshit is dedicated to a special topic which we're going to talk about as well as other topics. The main topic is the theme of Teshuvah. Teshuva. Where's Teshuvah and Breshi? Now this is something which caused uh, a lot of anti-Semitism. Yosef and the brothers, the story of Yosef and the brothers we mentioned last week caused a lot of anti-Semitism. You see how, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing how these Stories have an impact on us today. They're same same lines, same things. You know, Jews are vengeful. We want to take vengeance, just like Yosef took vengeance on his brothers. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. Yosef did not take vengeance on his brothers. In fact, Yosef supported his brothers and his family for 17 years. 17 years while Yaakov was alive and even after that. 17 years at least he supported his family in Egypt. So to say he took vengeance, well, let's read, let's read the lines. Let's see what's going on. So first of all, it acts like, it looks like he's taking vengeance. They don't know who he is. He's the stranger. He's the viceroy of the shrine. They don't recognize him. Rashi says because he never had a beard when he left.
1: And now he has a beard.
0: Okay, so he's disguised. He's guys with his beard. He's disguised with his strange robes. Rashi also says he never spoke to them directly. He always had a translator. He pretended he never knew how to speak to them. He never knew Hebrew. He never knew Lashmak Kodesh. He had this interpreter, who the rabbi might say was uh, Menashe. Was, his son was uh, interpreting between them. And so they didn't know who he was. And then strange things happen. What happens is, first of all, is he takes away Shimon. Shimon, the brother's girl, except for the younger brother. They go to his shrine to buy food. They come through, it says, 10 different gates, and he accuses them of being spies. He sets them up. Basically, he sets them up. This is why people think it's vengeance. He sets them up. We're going to see what is he setting them up for. That's the question. So Yosef says, you're spies. You're going to be tested. You'll leave here. You'll not leave here unless the younger brother will come. Send one of you and fetch the brother. Okay, then he changes his mind. Don't just send one of you. I'm going to let you all go except for Shimon. Shimon I'm going to put in jail. He knew that Shimon had the worst temper. Shimon was a dangerous guy. Shimon was taken as a captive. Here we are. The theme of captivity goes right through this story. Captives we talked about. Shimon is a captive. And here I'm going to give you food for the way. And I'll give you uh, food. I'm going to sell you the food. And then he even returns their money in their sacks. When he puts the food in the sacks, he tells the servant, put the money as well. So they are now even more suspicious. And suddenly they have pangs of conscience. And Reuben spoke to them, saying, did I not speak to you? Did I not tell you, don't sin against the boy, but you did not listen? And his blood is now being avenged. Hear you know this? Now the brothers start thinking Shuvah. Reuben told them, don't, don't kill Yosef. Throw him in the pit. That was Reuben. Reuben was the oldest brother. Then Reuben takes off. The Rashi says he went back to his father, served his father. And in the meantime, Yosef was gone. Yosef was sold we talked about last week, and now he's reminding them, this is happening, can you imagine, nothing happened, all those years, that they, they, they missed Yosef, the 20 odd years, that went by, they didn't think of anything, between that time, that could cause this trouble, the only thing they could think of, that caused this trouble, was the sale of Yosef, so Reuben says, did I not speak to you, did, do not sin against the boy, you ought to listen, and here his blood, is not, is, is being avenged, and they didn't know, that Yosef understood, for an interpreter was between them, the terraces. He turned away from them and wept. Imagine Yosef has deep feelings of emotions for his brothers. He doesn't like seeing them in pain. He's remembering their past. He, and he's it, now he's hearing that. He wept. He, he wept to them. Please don't kill me. Don't, don't kill me. We don't find this in the story itself. This is now coming up. And Yosef cries. He's not vengeful, he's not taking vengeance. If he was taking vengeance, he should be really happy. Now the brothers in his hands. Now the brothers are, are in trouble. Now he's going to turn the screws literally on them to cause more pain. But he's crying. He doesn't because he's feeding their pain. He's not doing this because of vengeance, which we're going to see. Okay, they go back to their father. They tell the father, "We can't go back there until we bring back Benjamin." With us. the man, the viceroy, the mean viceroy. He he's uh, framing us, and he wants to see Benjamin. And uh, Yaakov uh, refuses until desperation. There's no food to eat. He's really desperate. The famine was severe in the land. When they finish the food, Yaakov says, go back and buy some food. And Judah says, we can't go back unless Bin is coming with us. And uh, so and so and so and so. And that's what he he does. Eventually, they bring back Bin And everything's going well. He has his family party. They don't know who he is. He sits them down according to their births. He pretends he's looking at this cup. He has this magic cup he's looking at, which tells him their ages. And they all sat around and having a party and they have drinks and they become intoxicated with him. He didn't he did become intoxicated. And then he tells the, oh, the servant of his house, fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack as last time, and my silver goblet put in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, in Binyamin's sack. Uh, this is a framing. This is the framing of Binyamin. Why is he doing this? He's going to see, test them. Are they going to do the same thing to his brother Binyamin, the other son of Yaakov's favorite wife, Rachel? Are they going to sell him to the Egyptians again? In other words, are they going to leave him in Egypt as a slave? We're going to see. Let's see. That was a test. He was setting them up for a test to see if they did Teshuvah or not. This whole parasha and the next parasha also deals with Teshuvah, which we're going to talk about. So what happens? The brothers leave. They take the sacks. And he overtook them. The servant overtakes them and says, and said, uh, why do you repay evil for good? Someone took my master's cup. It's my master's favorite magic cup. And you have done evil in how you have acted. You stole my master's cup. He overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? It will be sacrilegious for your servants to do such a thing. Here, look, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then can we have stolen your master's house any silver or gold? Anyone among your servants with whom who is found shall die. Big mistake, by the way, to say that. Never say that. This is what Yaakov said to Lavan. Whoever stole your gods will die, and Rachel soon enough died. The apostles should not open their mouths for bad. Always open one's mouth for good. And then they said, and we will also become slaves to my Lord. This is... You know, they're so confident that no one stole anything from Yosef that they made these uh, vows. The guy who stole it will die. We'll all become slaves. Terrible things to say about themselves. And they didn't know that he was, they were being framed. He replied, whatever you say now is also correct. However, the one whom it is found with shall be my slave. The rest of you will be exonerated.
1: So each one lowers
0: his sack to the ground. Each one opens his sack. They search. And they started with the oldest, and they ended with the youngest. The last one was Benjamin, a real tale of suspense. And it was found in Benjamin's sack, and they ripped their clothes. All of them ripped their clothes. This is a sign of Teshuvah, guess remorse, Teshuvah. Each one reloaded his donkey, and they returned to Yosef, the city. And when Judah arrives with his brothers to Yosef's house, Yosef was still there, they all bowed down. Remember this. They all bowed down to Yosef. This is in tune with Ramban, which we're going to discuss. They all bowed down. This is Yosef's dream came true. All the brothers, all his brothers, 11 stars bowed down to him. All his brothers bowed down to him. And Yosef says, what have you done? You not realize that a man like me cannot be fooled. <laughs> I'm a magician. I can I can see everything. And Judah says, what can we say to my Lord? How can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? Hashem has uncovered the sin of your servants. Here we are. We are ready to be slaves to my Lord, both we and the one in whose hand the goblet was found. And he replies, I can't do this. Yosef says, the person who the goblet was found in, only he shall be my slave. As to you, go back in peace to your father. That's amazing. This is the biggest test. He set them up for this test, which they passed, Baruch Hashem. But during the pass, they told him things that they were doing to Shuva. They told him that. They really regretted what they did. They did, they told themselves. He they didn't know that he was talking, right? So oh. this is Yuda. This is Yudah saying, Yuda was one insulted, by the way. Yuda said to him, And Huda now is doing the Shuva. He says, For your servant took responsibility for the youth, of my father saying, if I not bring them back to you, then I will be sitting to my father for all time. Now, let the youth go back with his brothers. How could I go up to my father? The youth says, mis- live with me, lest I see the evil that will befall my father. Now Yosef knows that they are done Shuva. They will not sacrifice Benyamin, the youngest brother, which I'm sure they were pretty jealous of again because he's Yakov 's favorite, just like Yosef was. And they changed their ways. They're doing Shuva He heard them doing teshuva. They regretted what they did. And now he reveals himself to his brothers. And, but the story's not over. He reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them to come back to Goshen. He fell upon his brothers, Binyamin's neck, and wept, and Binyamin wept upon his neck. He then kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And afterwards, they started conversing with it. You can imagine? This is a shocking uh, ending to, well, it's not the end, but it's, it's towards the end of the story. It's an ending, which is Teshuvah. The brothers are doing Teshuvah. They did Teshuvah. He tested them. They came out of it uh, shining. They passed the test. They would not leave Bid in the hands of the Egyptians like they did to him. And he, he, he makes uh, amends with his brothers. And let's see, let's see what happens next. Okay, we're moving on. So this is the whole thing about Tishuba. But the truth is the whole half of the end of Breshim is all about Tishuba. Yaakov makes up with Esau. He returns to the bracha. It says we talked about he turned the bracha to Esau. Ruved tries to stop the murder of Yosef, repairing his sim at his father's beds actually says over there. Number three, it says, Yehuda repented with, for sin with Tamar and for the sake of Yosef, he's ready to enslave himself for Binyamin. That was his atonement for what he did to Yosef. So instead of Yosef being a slave and Binyamin being a slave, he says, take me as a slave. That's his teshuva. His teshuva is, take me instead of Binyamin. The brothers as a group repent, admitting their sin and of Yosef. And they all say, "Aval, we are all sinners. We all sin. But what about Yosef himself? We're going to talk about this. So we see Yosef also did Teshuvah over here. This is something which is usually neglected. The brothers did Teshuvah for selling Yosef. And Yosef is doing Teshuvah for what got him into this mess. His Lashon HaRa against his brothers. He's telling the dreams to the brothers. His... his uh, his uh, getting the coat from his father, you know, being the father's favorite, which I'm sure that wasn't all his fault. But again, he was he was uh, very close with his father. So, what about Yosef? And here we see that Rashi lays it on the beginning of Parshat Vayeshev. Rashi laid it on that he spoke Lashonara about them. Rashi says Yosef spoke Lashonara about them. But over here we find a very major question. A major question is. Where is Yosef Teshuva and his conceit? Now you find Yosef Teshuva was wherever he talked, he mentioned God's name. Before he was always me, 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 me. They bowing down to me. They bowing down to me. It's me. Over here is Teshuva. Is when he came out of the jail, he was a changed person. When he explained the butler and the baker's dreams and Pharaoh's dreams, he always said, "It's not. It's not me. It's Hashem. It's not me. It's Hashem." He realized, that's his teshuva. His teshuva for his conceit. His teshuva for his dreams is not me. The limits of power and might he realized, here we're going to talk about. So listen, but, but, but if, and it seems to me, from literal leading of the text, Yaakov never, was never informed, the brothers had told Yosef, we're going to talk about. He never told his father that the brothers sold him. This was a big secret. Why? He was blamed at the beginning of Yeshev. For speaking lashon hara about his brothers, he spoke bad words about his brother. We talked about it the last week's I mean, week before his class. But over here, he doesn't tell his father. This is very interesting. We never see that his father knows that his the brothers sold Yosef to Egypt. It seems from a literal reading of the text that Yaakov was never informed that the brothers had sold Yosef. Rather, he thought that Yosef was lost in the fields whoever found him the midianites or the ishmaelites they sold him into egypt the brothers did not wish to tell him of their sin they feared he'd become angry and curse them like he does later on because of the anger of shimon and baby and yosef did not tell them that's how he passed his test when he could have spoken very major Lashonara about his brothers you know Dad, you know who sold me to egypt who is my terrible brothers they didn't say anything he kept quiet and you know what? Ramban proves from the direct approach of Yosef's brothers to him, rather than via their father, Yaakov never had knowledge of Yosef's sale. He never, we're going to see, he never, ever told his father. And we see when his father came to Egypt, Yosef tries his best never to be alone with his father. Interesting. He never had, he was there, he always had someone in the room with him when he his father. Why? So his father could never ask that million-dollar question. How did you get to Egypt? He always had someone around to change the conversation. So Yosef's, as we see, Yosef's teshuva is that he never told Yaakov. When he had major uh, ingredients of Lashon Hara, kept quiet. So, okay, so now we have a very interesting question. And this question had about nine answers. And the question is, why didn't Yosef Look for his father. Why did Yosef send a message to his father? Okay, Yosef was a slave. You're a slave. You can't really send a message to your father. But now he's a viceroy of Egypt. He was seven years of plenty in Egypt and two years of famine. Nine years, he could have sent a message to his father. Dad, I'm alive. I'm well. Please come here, please. Why doesn't he send you? So here we have nine answers to this question. Let's go through the very briefly. I can't go through very much time. Let's go. So now, we have a question. Is The major daughter, 20 years away from his father, he didn't send a message to his father. And you can ask the question both ways. And we're going to, we can ask this question both ways. Why didn't his father look for him? Okay, so that's maybe we're going to, that's the last answer. We're going to see one of the last answers. Okay. So the question is, why did Yosef look for his father? First answer is the Bechor shore The Bechor Shore was Yosef Bechorshor, a 13th century rabbi, French rabbi of Orleans? No else. You know, uh, the French have Joan of Arc and we have Yosef Bechorshor. Yosef Bechorshor is one of the Bali Tosfos. One of the Bali Tosfos mentions him. Orleans, of Orleans. Yitzhak of Orleans. the Tosfa, Yosef Bechorshor. Don't know how he got his name Bechorshor, but his book was called Bechorshor. Maybe that's why it's called Bechorshor. He says Yosef was scared of his brothers. The brothers had warned him, Yosef, if you say anything about the sale, we're going to kill you, Yosef. Now, I don't know about you, but we already know that, that Shimon and Levi were murderers. Shimon and Levi were killers. They were they, These guys were killers. Levi was only 13 years old. They killed the whole city. They wiped out the whole city of Shechem. When these guys tell you, like a mafia, they tell you, listen, you, Yosef, one peep out of you, you're a dead man. So Yosef, that's the first answer. Yosef the Shor says, it's because he was scared they would kill him. The Ramban, as we mentioned a little, a little bit, we said, Ramban says, Yosef wanted to make his dreams come true. This is a very strange idea that you have to try your best. Like, So he knew his dreams were like kind of prophecy. And he assumed that you got to make it come true. In other words, your dreams don't come true. This is true about our dreams. You have to make your dreams come true. A person has a dream. I have a dream, right? I have a dream. Who's going to make your dream come true? And the answer is you've got to be part of that. You have to be part. We talked about this last week. The so, like Gemara says, if you don't dream for a week, you're a sinner. Evil. A person doesn't dream for a week, is evil. What does that mean? Well, my explanation is a person's got a dream, have dreams, have visions, have... What am I trying to do in my life? That's my dream. What am I trying to do for the world? That's my dream. What am I trying to do to achieve with my kids? That's my dream. That's your dream. You have to dream these dreams. What am I doing to achieve my potential? That is your dream. And you have to try and make that dream come true. So he also has this dream. He assumes part of the dream is prophecy. And then he says, I got to try and make this dream come true. It's not just enough to dream. But it's going to try and make that dream come true. And this is a very interesting ramban. And it's very controversial, as you can imagine. Do you have to make a dream come true? If it's a prophecy from God, is God going to make it come true? Or you you got to make it come true? So Ramban says a very interesting thing. He says, you've got to try your best to make it come true. Yosef tried his best to make his dream come true. So he didn't send a message to his father. He wanted the brothers to come, his famine. He knew the brothers were going to come sooner or later. And he waited for the right moment to tell his father. That's an interesting, controversial idea we're going to talk about. Number three, the Shiva Velazhi, uh, Velazhi. And uh, he writes, he says, Yosef, was Anus al-Piyadibur. He was in a state of shock where he couldn't even think about talking to his father. Why? Because he was in jail. He was a slave. You're not going to talk to your father you're in jail. And he didn't want to shock his father either, so he, he kept quiet. Number four, Rabbi Yitzhak Arama, who was a 15th century Spanish rabbi, and he says, um, he says, this pity of the Ramban, that he wants his dreams to come true, is foolishness. This is very harsh language, by the way. When you talk about Ramban, you don't say foolishness to the Ramban. Uh, Ramban was one of the greats. We have uh, wrote commentaries on the whole of uh, the Torah, whole of the Shas. Chedrushe uh, Ramban is one of the hardest commentaries to understand. So this, again, this is a Ramban. Ramban is very deep. Ramban was a big Kabbalist. You don't say whatever Ramban says is silly. foolish. I will say this, but he says it in the 15th century. Rabbi Yitzhak Rama says you don't have to make your dreams come true and whoever gives you the dream, he'll make it come true, so if Hashem gave you the dream Hashem's got to make it come true, you don't have to make your dreams come true, that's number four so why didn't Yosef tell his father he's alive that's the question so we're stuck with that question, so therefore Rabbi Yitzhak Arama and the Babadel answers Yosef did not connect with his father to test his brothers but they still hated him he wanted to know first. If they still hate him, what am I going to tell my father? And so my brother, i have telling my father, alive? My brothers still hate me, they'll try and kill me again. So it's similar to the one of the answers we had before. They'll try and kill him again. Lafsheh, <speaking> lahem, <an-> He wanted to get them to do teshuvah before he would reveal himself. So that's we see in the story, that's what happened. He gets them to do teshuvah, and then he reveals himself. So this is a good point over here. This is the Abar Benel, the great uh, leader, and the sage, and the 1492 in Spain, he led the Jews out of Egypt, but Spain. At that time, 1492, there was a decree on the Jews either convert or get out. And he was the one who led them. He hired bands to encourage them and they left Spain Uh, unfortunately not very successfully. Most most of them, I don't know what happened to them, they died in in transit. It was terrible. It was terrible. It It was the destruction of Spanish Jewry, who were like the cream of the crop. A lot of them went to, people don't know this, a lot of them moved to Germany. The Yekim are descendants of Spanish Jews. A lot of Ashkenazim today are descendants of Spanish Jews. We had an old lady in our shul, Mrs. Rosen, Shalom, who joined our shul. I said, Mrs. Rosen, why, you, why do you join our shul? She says, my ancestors were Spanish. <laughs> in fact, in fact, we have over here, over have this Boston Arabi in North, Boston Arabi. He says his ancestors were also Spanish, which is interesting. So there's a lot of Ashkenazim, because we see in history, at one time, there were more Sephardians than Ashkenazim. There were millions of Spartans in the world, there were 400,000 Ashkenazim around 1492. All of a sudden, everything changes. There's a minority of Sephardians. it is what happened. A lot of the Sephardians became Ashkenazim. They moved to Germany. Hamburg was one of the biggest towns with a Spanish-Jewish population. People don't know that. The Muranos moved to Hamburg. They could... And that's where Spanish, we see a lot of connections between the Yekim and the Spanish Jews. The Yekim are the only who wear a talit under the age of when they're married, below the age of marriage. There's a lot of different, uh, you can can see the the idea of the the, uh, learning, uh, you know, sciences and other things. The Spanish Jews were very much into science and philosophy and other things, medicine. So it's interesting. Anyway, that's not our topic. So we are moving on to the Barbanel. We talked about the Barbanel. Who says you don't have to, you don't have to make your dreams come true. Whoever puts the dream into your head will make it come true. So, what was the answer? The answer is he wants to see if they'll do teshuba. He wants to make his brothers, wants to know if the brothers did teshuba. Rabbi Huda Hasid, that's interesting. Rabbi Huda Hasid, who was uh, one of the great Ashkenazi rabbis, Rabbi Huda Hasid, 10th, 11th century Um, in Germany, wrote a book, um, Sefer Hasidim, very famous book, um, Rabbi Huda Hasid, big Musar book. Uh, Bale Musa. this is before the age of Hasidim, he was one of the first pious was, it was the age of the pietists the age of the Hasidim, the real Hasidim there were a couple of ages of Hasidim, it's interesting the Hasidim we have today are not the real Hasidim, which what I mean, what I mean the real Hasidim, belongs well, in the Talmud the Talmud says, talks about the real Hasidim, the early Hasidim the Vatikim, they would pray at nets every day, they would pray three three hours a day Shacharit three hours Shacharit, three hours minchah, three hours Marit, those were the early pietist Hasidim, and then you have the pietists of Germany, if you look it up, the Hasidim of, of Germany in the 10th, 11th century. And he, the foremost one was Rabbi Yudah Hasid. And he wrote Sefer Hasidim. All kinds of piet rules. This is beyond the law. That's what pious uh, Ramchal, Ram Moshe Chaim says in, in Misfat Piety is beyond the requirements of the law. That's a, piety, a pious person. It's someone who keeps Judaism beyond the requirements of the law. Anyway, he says in the Rosh, Ravenu Asher, again, another German rabbi, others say that Yosef did not want to split the family. He didn't want to cause the brothers to fight with each other. Because he said, if I get in touch with my brothers, there's going to be a big fight in the house. It was your fault, it was your fault, it was your fault. Because everyone knows that Yaakov's now going to blame. They would fight, the whole family would fall apart. He didn't want to cause a disintegration of the family. That's amazing. That's a beautiful idea. Yosef was concerned. That if he revealed himself to his family before the right time, his family would disintegrate. And that's probably true. That's a very, very amazing answer. I think that's one of the better answers that he didn't, he didn't want to reveal it. And he's going to be, and plus he's going to be caused to speak Lashon Haram about them. there. going to ask them what's going on. This way, they did the shuba. He can close the book. He doesn't say any tales about them. And things will be fine. And that's exactly what happened eventually. His idea came true. Number seven this is a modern commentary Rabinun, from Gush Zion. the yeshiva over there says this is amazing and this is what I was talking about before the question on the other side Yosef is thinking to himself 20 years went by my father is a wealthy man my father has lots of money, lots of servants he has lots of kids why couldn't he send a search party to find me if my father really loved me, wouldn't my father send a search party Plus, now listen to this. This is this is wild. This is background information which is staring us in the face that when Yosef told his father the dreams, the father knocked him down. He said, what? If they mean your mother, I'm going to bow down to you. How could you say such a thing? Now, he didn't really know the father said that because his other brothers were watching. The father was smart. He's not going to raise yourself up in his eyes in front of the brother. He's going to cause more enmity. So Yosef really was smacked by his father in that sense, in the, in the psychological sense. His father put him down. And then what happens is, the father says, can you go and see how your brothers are doing now? Why would the father send his young son by himself to look for the brothers when he knew the brothers him? Isn't, isn't the father somewhat involved in this? Maybe the father has an idea to get rid of me, like uh, Yitzhak got rid of Esab, and Abraham got rid of Ishmael. No, they had a tradition. There was a tradition in the family that only one or two, well, before it was only one brother, would be chosen, the other brother would be sent away. That was a family tradition. Maybe Yosef thought, and this probably was the idea of the brothers as well, Yosef is trying to frame them to get rid of them so that he could inherit. And maybe, you know, now Yosef now is in Egypt. Now Yosef's thinking to himself, maybe my father wants to get rid of me and let the other sons inherit. That was the family tradition. Not everyone inherits which we're going to talk about. So it's very fascinating. It's a very interesting idea that we're thinking, why did Yosef reveal himself to his father? And he's thinking, where is my father? Why did my father look for me? It's a very fascinating idea. Okay, Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi. Remember, Yosef Ibn Kaspi, to 12, uh, sorry, 1279 to 1340. After Yosef was a slave, he was sold. He says, how can I even tell my family? I was a slave. It's so demeaning. It's such a slap in the face. I can't even it's such a bouchard. such a such a terrible, it's a shunda. It's a terrible thing to tell your family. I was a slave. Guys, I was a slave. I was a slave to the for how many years. And then he put me in jail. I was I was accused of, of whatever, this terrible accusation. Molesting his wife. Terrible. How could he even say that to his father? Like so obviously he never had the face to say that. Okay. And therefore, he says he's waiting for the right time, waiting for the right time. And he didn't want to trouble his father more. Why? Because the Talmud says that if a person is dead, a person forgets about them after 12 months. In other words, the main hurt is why, you know, that's why today, you yeah, Avilut for parents only 12 months. It's not, not longer than 12 months. After 12 months, the main hurt is, is gone from the heart. So if Yosef comes on, he says, if he tells him whether he tells the father I'm alive, the hurt is going to get. come out of the heart of Yosef Yaakov. He didn't realize Yaakov was mourning for him non-stop. He thought Yaakov would stop mourning after one year. And by revealing himself, he just caused him more hurt, anguish. Okay, now we come to another answer, another modern answer. This is a modern answer. This is, based on, uh, this is based on the teachings of uh, the, great ra- the great Musa Rabbi, Rabbi Dessler. Strive for Truth, Rabbi Dessler. in English. Mikhtar Meliyahu in Hebrew. And I don't have any bodies that it has. Every year to come up with another volume. I was very lucky. You know, I was very lucky. I knew three of his students. I had contact with three of his students. One of them was my Kiach when I was in Yeshiva, in Yeshiva at Negev. And uh, the other one was uh, the principal, the, the president of my shul, Rabbi Sassur. And the other one was uh, one of the guys I knew, Rabbi Aria Karno from Yeshiva. Okay, he was a rabbi in, in Yeshiva. So I knew three of his students. Amazing. Each one was a, a diamond. So if, if each one of his students was a diamond, I didn't know him personally, but if his students are diamonds, you can imagine what the rabbi was like. He was the master diamond cutter. He was the master diamond polisher. That's the real rabbi. That was the real seed. So anyways, so I'm going to tell you a bit of Rabbi Destler. Rabbi Destler video, says, who loves who more? Does the father love the son more? Or does the son love the father more? Now, anyone who's a parent will tell you, there's no question about it. Anyone who's a parent will say, And anyone who's a child will tell you the truth. The truth is that the parent is thinking about their child all the time, constantly. A good Jewish parent thinks about their children constantly. And a good Jewish child, I don't know what he does. (laughs) I can't say they think about their parents constantly. But some children are better than others. Some children worry about their parents, you know, especially when they get older. Some kids don't care, but parents love their children. Why? So has this idea, this, psychological, philosophical idea that the more you invest in someone, the more you care about them. This is a very important idea. And this is a psychological idea to get someone to care for you. Why? If you get someone to care for you, I don't mean in, uh, you know, if you get someone to ask, you ask them for favors and they do things for you, they invest in you. That's how you cause them to love you. Sometimes I think you're a pain, but (laughs) usually what happens is if you invest in someone, you love them so usually parents invest in their kids they love their kids more than the kids love them but if the kids invest in the parents the kids obviously love their parents as well same thing applies to family relationships in in personalities in in wives, husbands when they invest in each other if you give to each other you will love each other the problem is today we're all in it for what's in it for me that's the problem with marriages today we're in it for me she doesn't satisfy me he doesn't satisfy me and me, 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 me and therefore, what happens is everything falls apart. It's investing in each other that causes the love. If you invest in your kids, you're going to love that kid. Usually, special need kids, there's much more love for special need kids. And you know why? Because you invest more into them. You have to invest. You have to sacrifice for them. Anyway, interesting concept. So, so this is a very modern idea. This is what Desla says. I'm just expounding on it, extending it, is that Yaakov, loved yosef now it's interesting because we look at it yakov left his father 20 years as well Yaakov did not see his father and his mother for 20 years and his mother he never saw because she passed away when he was in in laban's house and when he's going back on the way it says leah passed away so unfortunately he never saw his mother after the time he left her he never saw her again and he saw his father after 20 years, he remembers his father. When does he remember his father? When things are going well, you don't remember, you don't remember your parents. Unfortunately, it's. Strange. He never remembered his parents for 20 years. His mother said, "Go for a few days to my brother's house and marry his daughter and come back." And you know Esau will probably lose his temper. by then he'll, he'll forget everything. he'll forget about you. And he went for 20 years. And you know what? That 20 years, he didn't see his mother. Poor mother. The mother never saw Yaakov. There's a terrible thing in uh, the commentary say that Yaakov was punished quid pro quo, that he left his father 20 years, his son, his beloved son, he was mourning for 20 years now. He's appreciating what it's like to be a parent and not see your beloved son. Imagine what Yitzhak went through. He never saw Yaakov and his mother, poor mother. never saw. Anyway, this is a very interesting question. Who loves who more? This is a very vital question. So Yosef, yes, it's possible Yosef forgot about his father. His father never forgot about him. It's possible Yaakov forgot about his father, father never forgot about him. Okay, so that's a beautiful idea, this idea. Okay, let's move on because we've already here. Okay, there's a new idea. End of bra ends us with a new idea. there's a new idea in the world. new idea in the world is ethical monotheism. Abraham, the first one to come along with this new idea it wasn't really a new idea. It was an old idea. Abraham been we think of oh, something as a reformer, he was someone who came out with new ideas no. Abraham went back to Noah and Shem. In fact, Shem was the great leader that time. Shem was the leader that time. The only difference is Shem never did the outreach. Shem and Ever had a yeshiva in Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, Kodesh, From the death of Noah, they moved to Yerushalayim because we said that Canaan was really given to Noah. It was Noah's property. And the Canaanites came and they stole it from Noah. Imagine. Shem says to Abraham, you're going to get it back. You're the, son of, you're the true descendant of Shem. You're going to get back the land. And uh, but Noah was dead, which she- Abraham probably saw Noach, right? And Abraham learnt with Shem a little bit because he was Malch- Malchit Melech Shalem. That's how Abraham knew him and met him after the war with Sodom, as we talked about. But Yitzhak um, and Yaakov learnt in the Yeshiva of Shem and Ever says forty years. So that was the new idea. The new idea at that time was ethical monotheism, produced by Abraham Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and spread through the world. Through them, they were they were missionaries. Abraham was a tremendous missionary. Abraham Sarah. Sarab would convert the women. Abraham would convert the men. Tremendous What's going to happen? This idea of ethical monotheism. Yaakov is worried now. I'm going to die. We're now in Galut in Mitzrayim. We're in this terrible place of idolatry and magic. It's a technology. It's a civilization. So, oh, how are my kids going to adapt to this? How are my grandchildren going to adapt? To this new society, and think about it: how did the Jews adapt in America? They didn't. The answer is they didn't. We lost probably over fifty percent of Jews. We probably lost fifty percent. So, how are my kids going to adapt in Egypt? So, Yaakov is a brilliant man, and he comes out with this idea: How am I going to persuade my kids that they're not Egyptian? And the answer is very simple: Don't bury me in Egypt. This is not my country. Take me back to my land and my my father, my mother, my my parents and my grandparents are buried over there. Bury me in Machpelah. I'm part of a chain of tradition. This is what Yaakov said. Don't bury me in a foreign land. You know, this is amazing. You know, unfortunately, this is a very big, this is a very important idea that, you know, at least if you can't live in Israel, at least you could be buried in Israel. At one time they were saying there were more Jews coming in coffins than coming, walking. You know, it's interesting that in the Brick of Amazon, we say a very important harachaman. We have to pay attention. We say this harachaman. Let us just say it with all their heart, harachaman, who yorichinu komiliyut saying Hashem, let me go back to Israel standing up. Let me go back to my land of Israel, not in a coffin, not lying down, but standing up. Hashem, let us all please, Hashem, give us the strength, the willpower. And. Israel should be strong, and we'll, we'll fulfill that wish. <laughs> we say every day in the of Ramazan, we eat bread. We say in the Birka Ramazan, now we know what it means. Let's try and fulfill that wish. Like, like Yosef has to fulfill his dream. Right? So let's fulfill that dream. That's a dream. A dream is, we say every day in the of Amazon, please bring us back. Anyway, so look what Yaakov has to do. Yaakov is a brilliant, it's a brilliant technique. Don't bury me in Egypt. I don't belong in Egypt. You know, it's interesting. It says when the, when the Jews came out of Egypt, they took with them all the bones of the sons of Yaakov. It wasn't just Yaakov. It was all his sons. Yosef also makes them promise, don't leave Egypt and leave my bones in Egypt. Take me out of here. Imagine now, you are now the grandchild, the great-grandchild, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation. You're in Egypt for 210 years. And you have to remember the promise. I have to take out my my ancestors' bones out of Egypt. I'm going to bury them in Israel. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you is, I'm not an Egyptian. I have roots in a different country. And this is where I'm going to go. And that was a tremendously important insight. That, and that's what the, the concluding portion of uh, a sheet is, about the burial of Yaakov. Of I'm going to talk about is, uh, it says, let me just quote a few bzuchim. So ends of last week's parashah, ends off, and the Jews lived in, in the land of Egypt, in this district of Goshen, and they took possession of it, and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Yaakov was afraid of assimilation. He sent Yehuda ahead to prepare a place in Goshen, and he makes Yosef, Yosef swear he will not bury in Egypt, but in Machpelah. Yaakov is making the point crystal clear. He may be in Egypt, but he's not of Egypt. His eternal resting place can only be where his real roots are. Inherits Israel, the request not to be buried in Egypt, is only the first step of the process. Step number two, Yaakov is about to die. Yosef is called to his bedside, arriving with his two sons. The legacy Yaakov leaves is the clearest expression of what is necessary for the continuation of our people. Yaakov refers to Abraham's blessing which he received from God at Luz, which is the essential expression of who he is and what gives his life meaning. I will make you fruitful. I'll give you this land your children for an everlasting possession. This is what Jacob tells Yosef and his two sons. Yaakov then tells his the two sons. He says, whose sons are they? He ask Yosef. And we don't really know what that means. Whose sons are they? And then he goes into a tangent. I'm going to go into everything. Why does he ask whose sons are they? Are they my sons or the Egyptian sons? Who do they relate to? Who do they think that they're part of the family? Which family are they belong to? Are they my family or Pharaoh's family? Whose sons are they Yosef? Are they your sons? or your wife's sons or Pharaoh's sons? Are they of Egypt or are they of mine? Are they of Israel? Israel, Israel I'm Israel. So this is is this is the question. This is the question we have to ask our grandchildren. Yaakov was afraid of assimilation. He fears what would happen to his dreams and God's promises, and Hashem. Yeah, the, and the Be'er Sheva, when he, when he offers up an offering, Hashem appears to him that night. Hashem promises him he's going to survive and he's going to come out. The, the Jews are going to come out. Of but he wants them to belong to him, to share in his dreams of return to Israel, to adopt his customs and philosophy, to yearn with him for Jewish identity. He was in exile, everything was going well, he was getting rich. But he wanted to go back to Israel, he wanted to go back to his heritage that's what he was asking them. It wasn't just an asking-minded question. Who are, whose children are they? He knew they were. He wants to know whose they are. So this is a very important question. And this is one of my favorite Rabbi Sachs. Uh, Rabbi Sachs, oh, a great Rabbi Sachs. Allah Rabbi Sachs has a beautiful thing about grandchildren. I want to relate to you. So he says over here, a very beautiful idea. Let's see where he is. Here it is. Yaakov blesses Yosef. Now this is interesting because we find that Abraham only really blessed. He didn't bless anyone, actually. Abraham says, blessings belong to God. God will bless whoever he wants. God bless Yitzhak. Abraham did not bless Yitzhak. Yitzhak apparently only had one blessing. He had two sons with only one blessing. He wanted to bless Esau. And Yaakov had blessings for all his children. Now, this is interesting. Yaakov was the master blesser. (laughs) He knew. He didn't just give blessing, which is the same blessing. We give our children the same blessing every week. Yaakov knew how to cut a suit of clothes like cutting a blessing, cut, cut blessings, personal blessings for every child. Every child, he knew their personality, he knew what they needed, he gave them perfect blessings for each one. Okay, so first Yaakov blesses yourself. and then he places his hands on the heads of the two boys. This is the blessing we give our children every Friday night. And, the, and they say, May, may Hashem make you like Fryman Hashem, and we say the book, according. and we do the same thing. So one of the commentators Yaakut Yaakov Yudah says, because Ephraim and Hashem are the first two Jewish children born in exile. Yaakov needed be to bless these two boys first while they're in exile. They're prone to assimilation. They're born in exile. Please, Hashem, keep their identity intact, despite all the temptations and distractions of diaspora life. That's why he blessed them. So he says, from his says, I heard the most beautiful explanation based on the Zohar. From my revered predecessor, Lord Yaakov another great. Oh, one of the greats? Rabbi really, These were the greatest orators. If you want to hear great orators, you go to them. Uh, unfortunately, we can't. We can't go to them, but we can see their movies. You can see Rabbi Saxon's is a uh, great uh, oratory, amazing. I was at a, I was at conventions every year. I would come to conventions of rabbis of Israel, and I would hear the greatest rabbis speaking to address all the rabbis from most large convention. <laughs> this is a major challenge for a rabbi to address rabbis. And one of them is still alive. That's Rabbi Lau. Rabbi Lau is still the chief rabbi of, uh, of Tel Aviv, one of the great orators. And Rabbi Sachs, he just stole, he stole the show. He's one of the greatest, even though no one could understand what he was saying, because he spoke in English. And there's a large Israeli contingent, or South American contingent. And there were people with, but amazing speaker, amazing speaker. And the content, it's not just how he spoke, but it's also the content was original. And mind-blowing. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context. So Yaakov blesses, we said. Okay. And then the explanation he brings to Robert Chikov, it's a blessed memory. He says, many instances in Torah and Tanakh when parents bless their children. This is the only example in the whole Torah, pay attention, of a grandfather blessing grandchildren. Between parents and children, he says, they're often tensions. Parents worry about the children. Children sometimes rebel against their parents. The relationship is not very smooth. Not so with grandchildren. The relationship is one of love, untroubled by tension or anxiety. <laughs> this is great. This is great. As a grandparent, one of them, my, uh, I have a grandchild who comes here. He dances. He dances with joy. I want to see Saba. I want to see Saba. I'm so happy. He dances with joy. There's no tension. This is just pure love. This is the only example we have in the Torah of grandparents blessing them. I can relate to this. Grandparents blessing their grandchildren. I hope you can relate as well. So, grandparents, it says, anyone who had the privilege of having grandparents or grandchildren will immediately understand the truth and depth of this is a great explanation. Grandparents bless their grandchildren and are blessed by them. So, this is a very beautiful Torah. Now, of course, it's a beautiful Talmud. Rabbi Shobadeh says, Whoever teaches their grandchildren Torah is regardless as if they had received the Torah from Mount Sinai. As it says, teach your children and your children's children. This is amazing. The Gemara says in Kiddushin, Lamed Aleph 38. That's the Gemara over there. Whoever teaches their grandchildren, is like they got the Torah from Sinai. The Talmud Yushami puts it a little bit differently. It says about the same Rabbi Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi, the great Rabbi says he went to heaven alive. I can't wish I could do that. He used to listen every Friday to his grandson reciting the weekly parasha. Remember the grandson is reciting the weekly parasha, and one week he went to the bathhouse and after he began bathing, he remembered this the time of his grandson relating to the Torah. He immediately got up to leave the bathhouse and, those, and they asked him, why are you leaving in the middle of bathing? So since the Mishnah says, if you have begun bathing on Friday afternoon, you should not interrupt the process. It's a bit of debate on Friday night. So he said to them, is it a small thing in your eyes? Whoever hears the parasha from his grandchild as if he heard it from Mount Sinai. It's a beautiful idea. Grandchildren, grandparents, amazing—you know, gift. It's a gift, and give your children and your grandchildren the space to give to you, Divrei Torah. Let them become your teachers. And it's based on the on the Psalm 128. He says, "Ure uh, banim you see children to your children. Shalom al Israel. That will bring peace, peace to Israel. What brings peace to Israel? When well, there's a connection with your children and grandchildren and grandparents. And we should see peace in our time. I want right. a little bit more, a little bit more, please. A little bit more, a little bit, uh, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit of empathy for me, for the poor rabbi here. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's hear. So now, one the, of the major questions, I never thought about this question. This is Rabbi Victor Miller. Rabbi Victor is an amazing rabbi who lived in Brooklyn. He knew the American condition. And he, he pointed out something which I never thought about you know the blessings that Yaakov gave his children he said he, he knew how to structure a blessing for each child it mentions animals animals why should he bless his children to be animal like this is a major I never thought about this you know look what he says look, yeah, look what he says about his children This terrible I would you know it's interesting because I Ashkenazim have a custom Are they gave their children after animals Ze'ev Ari a lion uh a wolf, these are, these are animals, but you name your children after animals. It came from this week's parasha. Sorry, we never our, we never name our children an animal name. We don't give children animal names. We give them Torah names. We give them, you know, names of our forefathers. You don't go and say, but, Ari, what's going on? However, this is Yaakov Avinu. What did he, he say? Gur, Ari, Yehuda, you're a lion. Yehuda, you're a lion, you know? And then let's relate this to the war today. We have our children in the armies today, grandchildren. They'd all survive and be healthy, better come back at safety uh, for all their sakes, and their children and, and their wives and families. And he says, Yuda, you will be like a lion. This is a message to us today. This is the message we get from our parasha. We today as Jews have to be like lions. Why? Because we see how much anti-Semitism there is in the world. Wherever you live, we have to survive and like lion-like. We have to be courageous like lions. Yehuda, we are Jews. We're Yehuda, Yehuda is the short, is a long form for Jew. Yehudi, Yehuda. Lo yasu shev Yehuda, Israel we will be strong like Yehuda. And then he goes on. Issachar will be like a Hamor. He'll be like <laughs> you, tell, you tell your son you're going to be like a Hamor. Oh, that's the biggest thing. Worst thing you can tell your kid. What does that mean? He's a hard worker. His Sahab would struggle in the Torah like a donkey is carrying the burden of Torah. So, again, these are all symbolisms. And this is something I would not use myself personally. But this is what he said. He's telling them be courageous like a lion. Be industrious like a, like a, like a, more like a donkey. And then he says, Dan will be like a snake. Sometimes we have to be like snakes as well, you know. These guys are crafty. We have to be even craftier than them. So, these are. Things I would never think about. Why didn't talk about this? And the answer is very simple. When we study these animals, we ask ourselves, what is the common denominator? It's so simple as saying, you know, they are dangerous, these animals. Well, leech are also dangerous. Don't, don't pick on us. We can also be very dangerous. We should be. And the answer, but the real answer is they have quality of vigor. They have energy. Animals have energy, a certain ability to rise to the occasion with courage. And that quality of energy and verve is what Yaakov Avinu wanted to see in the future of his children, in the future of the nation. In order for us to succeed, made true to our principles, we have to have this ability to rise to the occasion and personify the qualities he saw in these creatures. The vibrance and vigor and power of action. He wanted a nation to be strong and not weak. He wanted his sons to be like lions, be fearless when the moment calls for fearlessness. And it's something which we have to especially today. We have to be fearless, like lions holders against us. And we have to be proud and stand up. And that's how Jews survive for you know thousands of years of persecution and, and thousands of years of exile. His Radashim, Hashem will give us strength, Hashem will give the army strength, Hashem will help us survive, and we'll come out this even stronger than before and more successful, there's Radashem.